Hey, I'm Dustin Wynn. This is Freddie Williams. This is Ian Sattler, Senior Story Editor at DCU. Hi, this is Mildred D. Philippus. And Christina Weir. Hi, this is Kevin Vandal. Hi, this is Lee Bermeon. Hi, this is Brian Ezrelli. Hi, this is Matt Wagner, author of Batman and the Monster Man and Batman and the Mad Monk. Hey, this is Mike Martz, Batman Group Editor. Hey, this is Ethan Van Skybro. My name is Neil Adams. This is Paul Dini. This is Robert Greenberger. This is Jerry Robinson. Hey, this is uh, Will Fortaccio. This is Adam Beechin, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 42. I'm your host, Dustin, and today we have with us... You got Josh. And this is Zach. We are bringing you the latest comic news from the past two weeks, as well as your upcoming releases, as well as five comic reviews from the past two weeks. Now, you might be thinking, why five? Why not six? Well, for some reason, Red Robin number 11 has eluded us, and we will not be covering that on this episode, but we will be covering it on the following episode, so look forward to that. But we do have five books to cover, and we do have plenty of news to go over, and some pretty big news, too. I don't know what you want, but I know I can get it for you. With a minimum of fuss. Money. Jewels. A very big ball of string. So let's get right into comic news. The first thing we have is on March 29th, Judd Winnick talked with Comic Book Resources about his extensive history with Jason Todd. They discussed everything from his work on Batman Under the Red Hood to his upcoming work on Red Hood, the Lost Years miniseries. And we're going to go over some of the highlights I'm going to read for Comic Book Resources, and Zach is going to read for Judd Winnick. How did these two Red Hood stories come about? Did you have more Jason Todd stories to tell, or did DC come to you with the idea? Well, starting with the miniseries, I had that story in my back pocket for a long time. When we first did Jason Todd's origin in the Batman annual way back when, there was maybe four. I don't even know if there were four panels devoted to it, so this is kind of what happened in between after Jason's resurrection and before he donned the Red Hood. Originally, we really just blasted through it, and I knew full well that there was a longer story that I could tell. I had a lot of ideas in mind. I joked with Dan DiDio and my editor at the time, Bob Shrek, that I can do 75 pages with this issue, easy. And even then, it would have felt like it was getting short-shifted. They said that story will have to wait for another day, then. So we're kind of bridging the gaps here. If you go back and read the annual for me, it feels a lot like that. Those were kind of like highlights. This adds depth to a lot of the stuff we were touching on there. I basically had this idea in my head, too, that after Jason was resurrected and before he became the Red Hood, what led to him becoming the Red Hood? And that's what this series grew out of, what happened in those lost days. You mentioned that this series ties into the DVD, and you do consider this a prequel of sorts. Yes, it dovetails kind of nicely. It really, really does. There are major differences between the two years' worth of comics that I did on the Batman run and the movie, but for the most part, they are very much the same story. You can certainly watch the DVD having not read the source material. You can definitely hop into this real easy, and also for folks who read the source material, they can enjoy the movie too. This is a story that comes before. Jason dies, he returns, and then after he returns, it's how he becomes an anti-hero. So... Interestingly enough, it is kind of a prequel to the movie, as we kind of talked about over in the normal podcast. Oh, no, it isn't. They're just saying that to sell, to, to, to try and tie it in. It's completely different continuities. Right. You are completely out of your mind. So let's go into the next bit of news. We have 
on March 31st when it ended up talking to Newsarama. And there's a little bit more uh, highlights from this interview. So this time, uh, Josh is going to read for Newsarama, and I'm going to read for Judd Winnick. Judd, when we talked during your Batman run story arc last August, you said you'd be back on Batman after Tony Daniel's six issues. That apparently isn't happening since Tony announced to Newsarama that he's the new regular writer. Was Red Hood the story you were going to tell when you returned to the title, and you guys just decided to make it a miniseries? No. Well, it was one story of a couple, I suppose. I could have made this into a story within the pages of Batman, although I think it works much better standing alone. But what happened was that I got busy working on the Red Hood movie, and then I started working on the bi-weekly Generation Lost, and now Power Girl is gearing up. So it was the sort of thing where I kept pushing back when I could come back to Batman. And in truth, it's all about timing. Oh, okay, so it was his schedule and not DC not wanting him back. That's what it was. But she left something open-ended. Yeah, there's a story still floating out there. After that cliffhanger that Dick Grayson found something that Bruce was hiding from him, and that story still, still sits out there. And given a few more months to get these projects up and going, we might come back to that, but it's not happening now. But this story about Red Hood has been floating around my head for years now, and it's just something I was going to do because I needed a story arc for Batman. This is something I really want to tell for a while. Do you really think sympathy for Jason can be linked to the fact that many fans agree with him about the Joker? I mean, the guy crippled Barbara, then killed Jason so fans could get behind someone killing him, you know? Yeah, exactly, exactly. They can understand. Living in the real world, on planet Earth, it makes no sense that Joker is still running around and alive. But this isn't the real planet Earth we're talking about. All I have to say for that is I don't really buy into that DC wanted him to continue on Batman. I think they pulled him off of Batman for the reason of nobody really liked him on Batman. Yeah, that whole thing, like, so, you said you were going to be back on Batman, but Tony Daniel, that was real delicate newsarama, real delicate. Ah! You sunk my battleship! April <laughs> 1st, Comic Book Resources posts up an interview with Fabian Nassai. We've got a couple different things to go over about some things that we can expect to see, and we do have a decent amount of stuff to go over because... There was a bunch of highlights to go over, so Zach is going to read for Comic Book Resources, and I'm going to read for Fabian Nassizo. During Chris Yost's run on the book, we've seen Tim traversing the globe in search of Bruce Wayne. Will his globe-trotting bat hunt continue in your run, or is Red Robin heading back to Gotham? We expect that the stories in Red Robin will allow Tim to operate both in Gotham City and, in, and internationally, depending on the nature of the pursuit. Since Tim will be far less reactive to crime and, fo and far more proactive in his approach, he will initiate investigations and operations that will take him outside of Gotham at times. So we're looking at roughly three-fifths Gotham, two-fifths International, and maybe a tiny fraction for the occasional interplanetary or extra-dimensional jaunt as well. Actually, there's a whole virtual realm I want to develop down the line that involves Grant's Ubernet idea for the Secret Society and Tim's developing communications with the former Anarchy and current catatonic electronic ghost, Lonnie Mackin. But that's getting way ahead of myself. Another major storyline Chris has been exploring is Ra's al Ghul's fascination with the new Red Robin. Will Damien's grandpa continue to play a role in Red Robin? Yes, I think Chris created a very interesting dynamic, the uber-villain whose mission is to get the main star of your book laid. Creates quite the moral conundrum for Tim, doesn't it? 
I tend not to abandon the ongoing continuity of a title I inherit. Historically, I have continued most, if not all, ongoing subplots, and I will in this case as well. We'll see Tam Fox continue her role as a possible girlfriend. We'll see Vicky Vale in the mix. We will get back to Roz and the Council of Spiders. But at the same time, I'll be bringing back characters I percolated in my previous run. Villains like Lynx, Scarab, Anarchy, Money Spider, supporting characters like the corrupt detectives Cavallo and Wise, Assistant District Attorney Vanessa Rios, and some new GCPD patrol cops as well since I lost Jamie Harper to the Superman titles. I want the city to be a supporting character in the book, not just the characters that inhabit the city itself. We'll see a consistency to the pubs where cops or firemen or bad guys go, nightclubs, or even a return of the hedonist society I showed in Batman Confidential, just to see some people's undies get in a bunch. Can you share any more details about your first arc and perhaps where you're heading long-term with Red Robin? The first arc is called The Hit List, and it's all about Tim re-establishing himself in Gotham and deciding how he will go about the business of being Red Robin. He has reconnected with Dick and Damien, he knows there are lots of qualified people conducting the search for Bruce Wayne, and now he has to figure out how he wants to do what he wants to do. Tim spent several months so focused on what he was doing that he hadn't focused much on what he would do next. Will he go back to school and finish his senior year? Will he live at Wayne Tower or Wayne Mansion or somewhere else? Does he want to continue his recent relationship with Tam Fox or maybe get back together with Stephanie, who is in a great place now as Batgirl? And aren't Brian Q. Miller and Lee Garbett kicking on that book? I sent several things in motion during the Search for a Hero arc regarding how Tim would operate if given the chance as a solo player. The hit list begins the process of fleshing those thoughts out. If this is going to be Tim's life 24-7 job, as it were, well, how would he handle it differently than Bruce, Dick, or even Superman, for that matter? And that is the great thing about Tim's personality. He has a plan and an almost detached curiosity about seeing it implemented. Not everyone will agree with the aspects of his plan, or all of his methods, or all of his decisions, but no one who knows him can criticize that Tim doesn't think things through in ways beyond them. How the long-term and big-picture are, are covered in his methodology, and how, if damned, he doesn't find a way to knock those dominoes down. One into the next, into the next. So that is the interview with Fabian. I'm kind of glad to hear that uh, we're going to be seeing some of the villains and different supporting characters that some people have completely dismissed come back to the series. It was kind of a dumb question for comic book resources to ask whether or not there's going to be a bunch of things happening in other storylines, <laughs> considering that's what he does. He brings things in from other storylines, and he doesn't negate anything. This is going to come as a big surprise to listeners of the podcast, I'm sure. But yes, this interview got me so pumped for his run. And just the fact that he said he's going to be continuing some stuff. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be continuing, you know, uh, Yost is, you know, characterization of Vicky Vale. And I'm thinking, dude, you're the one that set that whole thing in motion over in the Gotham Gazette thing. And Yost devoted, like, maybe five panels to it. Of course, you're going to be picking it up. And just he set up so much the interview you can hear he set up so much stuff that's going to be happening with tim's life so you know the stuff about his role in gotham where he's going to live uh obviously the whole i guess love triangle or whatever between stephanie and tam now and bringing back old characters from his run too often when you're bringing or changing writers on a book you hear the words good jumping on point for new fans and you know uh, you know reboot reboot 
even when it's not a physical rebooting to a number one, but when a new writer comes on, it's almost like a new series at some point, and I'm liking how Fabian's, you know, continuing the story with Yost's stuff, but bringing in his own stuff from the end of his Red Robin run as from the end of his regular Robin run as well. I don't know, I'm jazzed. Yeah, I think Red Robin's kind of one of those books for me that's been kind of blah, but just reading this interview, he seems really enthused about writing this book and he seems to have it kind of all planned out so uh, I am looking forward to this and the first issue that he's going to be writing is the issue that will be coming out in June so we got two months to wait for that you change things alright so also on April 1st uh, the source posted up info about the next big event in the DC Universe brightest day we'll see many characters that have been killed returning from the dead two of these figures will in fact be the hidden members of the birds of prey now, you may remember that when it was first announced that Birds of Prey was coming back, they put out the cover art and there was two figures that were blacked out. And we went as far as to guess on previous podcasts of who these characters were. Could they possibly be Red Robin and Batgirl? Could they be somebody else that we didn't know? Well, on April 1st, the source gave us their identities. And it's going to be none other than Hawk and Dove, who were killed during Blackest Night. Whoopee. Yeah, uh... Funny that this news came out on April 1st because it would almost seem like an April Fool's joke. Yeah, what's interesting is when we were talking about Red Robin, somebody, we made a comment about how, you know, there could be a, a man on the th- roster, and then somebody said, well, no, because these are all females. And then we said, well, no, because Savant was on Bir- in Birds of Prey for a little bit, and he was a guy, or so we think he was a guy. So it's possible that Robin, Red Robin could be in it. But, you know, you got to admit, besides the, the crazy things coming off of uh, Dove's costume, it really looks like those two characters could have been Batgirl and Red Robin. Maybe, but I think it would have been overkill to have them on the Birds of Prey team. We already have the whole Oracle, you know, and Stephanie dynamic going on over in Batgirl. I would have liked Cassandra to have been one of the members, just so, I don't know, she can kind of be somewhere. She's kind of like the redheaded stepchild of the Batman family now. Even Jason has his own miniseries, <laughs> and she's, you know, off nowhere. Before you throw everyone in the putt, Penguin, you may find yourself in hot water. Batgirl, how did you find this place? I just adore weddings, Penguin. Or funerals before weddings, Batgirl. Get her! Alright, so the next thing we've got is we've got a ton of news that happened on April 2nd. The first thing we've got was a huge announcement from the source. Well, actually it would have been a huge announcement if it wasn't one of the worst kept secrets in the Batman universe. Neil Adams' Batman Odyssey will be coming to stores in July 2010. Batman Odyssey will be a 12-part miniseries. Adams will, will write and pencil the entire series and even ink the first two issues. After that, he will team with various heavy hitter creators for the inking. Adams turned Batman into the dark character that he has become with his realistic art back in the 70s. Adams had a comment for the source saying, I have been collecting bits and pieces of Batman's life and time over the years since I was doing Batman regularly. With even this massive series, I haven't been able to shove them all in. But the juiciest and richest morsels are there. Have comic books always been this much fun? Yeah. We have been hearing about this Batman Odyssey series for quite some time. I think the first time I heard about it was January of 2009, because Adams went to a convention and said he was working on a Batman series, and DC refused to comment on it. And then I remember at San Diego, somebody presented the question to the at the Batman panel, 
and they did not comment it on then either. And then I remember at Big Apple Comic Con, Adams was there and he said he was working on this Batman Odyssey book. And again, DC would not comment on it. So this is the first time that DC has actually officially announced it. And I guess it's a good thing considering now we actually know when it's going to be coming out instead of just rumors for months and months and months. <coughs> Grundy not feel good. Grundy gonna feel a lot worse. Alright, so on April 2nd, still, Adams talked with comic book resources about the Batman Odyssey project that was announced by DC, and he made a couple comments. Some of the comments were in regards to on why now was the time to bring his work on Batman back. He said, in a way, Batman has become sort of outdated. Even in the movies, they've had to put armor on him and do things to him that have made him stiff and uncomfortable. They've had to deal with the question of how does Batman, who comes from a time of gangsters and pistols and minimal armament, come into a time where we see to have the most powerful guns, the most frightful explosive devices. We seem to be in a time where gangsters are armed with in a ridiculous manner. There used to be a time where Batman was worried about whether or not a guy doing a mugging had a gun. Today, a guy pulls out a gun as long as his leg and starts firing at Batman. In regards to on writing the series himself, instead of Frank Miller, who we previously rumored, who was previously rumored to be writing the dialogue, he said, I think there's a misconception going on. I really am more of a storyteller and a writer than an artist. I just happen to be pretty good artist. It's just that people know me as an artist. And finally, in regards of what he hopes to achieve with the series, he said, is he becoming trite? Is he becoming? Is he being used? And does he really think about everything that he's about? Is there a place for him to realize it? A place for him to go where he can realize it and come back a better Batman? So I'm hoping that this story where people read it and at the end they'll look at it and say, I think Neil made a better Batman. That shows that he gets the character, and I like how he's, you know, bringing up the facts that in the movies they have to justify things like the armor and everything, where... Because really, yeah, it is an outdated concept, but it shows. I mean, he's been working on the character for a while. He knows what works and what doesn't, and I like how he's going to try and modernize it without taking away the essential assets of the character, if that makes any sense at all. Batman, as one baker to another... How do you make a dishonest shortcake? Dishonest shortcake? There's strawberry shortcake. And blueberry shortcake. A dishonest shortcake. I've got it. A library. That would make it a dishonest shortcake. Right, Robin. Library. Clearly a corrupted version of the word library. All right, so moving on, the next thing we've got is also April 2nd. WonderCon happened that weekend. And the first thing that happened was a DC Nation panel, and Jim Lee was in in attendance. Lee mentioned at the very end of the panel something about All-Star Batman. Lee said that he has talked to Frank Miller about the series, and they have determined that the series does not really fall into the All-Star line. They have determined that it is more part of the Dark Knight Returns universe. Lee said this about the return of the series. The first half of the story, Chapter 1, is done. Chapter 2 will come out, and it's going to be rebranded, renamed Dark Knight Boy Wonder. We're looking at February 2011, six issues coming out on a monthly basis. Then, after we posted that story, there was an update because the source posted up some more details about the series, and Jim Lee said, I feel terrible about how late the book fell behind. 100% of the blame falls upon my shoulders. 
So one of the reasons we chose February 2011's start date was to ensure that Dark Knight Boy Wonder would ship regularly and on time. There are a number of reasons for its incredible delay, but rather than focus on what cannot be changed, I want to promise fans that they will see cool snippets and exclusive previews on this very blog in the coming months to whet their appetites for the next chapter of the story of the Dark Knight and Robin the Boy Wonder. Wow. So, I, I've heard them saying this for a few years now, by the way, that, you know, this probably, you know, falls into the Dark Knight Returns universe, but I think it's ridiculous how they're announcing it. Oh, by the way, we've decided that this isn't that, you know, you know that book All-Star Batman and Robin? You know you know that All-Star line that we were hyping up a few years ago, that it was its own universe? Yeah, we decided that this isn't in that universe now, and we're going to change the name of the title. God, I hope that they don't relaunch it with a new number one. I mean, it's it'll be nice to see the stuff that we've heard about. I mean, back at Comic-Con, Jim Lee told myself that we were going to be seeing another five-page spread of Gotham City, which will be cool. The five-page spread that we saw in of the Batcave. And I'm looking forward to that. I mean, Lee's art's amazing. Everybody knows that. It'll just be nice to actually see it and actually happen instead of just being talked about forever and ever and ever. Yeah, I mean, I, I look forward to it to it too but i mean how many years are we going on not not seeing anything what is like three years now by the time this comes out when when was was it 2008 no i think the last issue was march 2009 oh okay just about two years but i mean yeah even so but that issue was like the first one in two years since in in two years wasn't it yeah i mean that was was, yeah i think there was I think there was two or three issues that came out all around the same time, but they were delayed within, like, two months of each other. And then, I mean, the series started off in 2005, and it only has ten issues. So, do the math. There's not, it's not like a whole lot's happened in four years. No. Well, it's a, yeah, well they changed universes in those four years, you know. Because I remember when the All-Star line was supposed to be a big deal, because it was this and All-Star Superman that was kind of coming out of the gate. And, they, you know, they were going to do all-star lines for all their characters and stuff, and this was going to be their version of Marvel's Ultimate Universe. And now it's like, yeah, uh, since that concept kind of died, yeah, this is now a different universe. Yeah. Which I think is like, even though they've been saying it on message boards for years, I think that it's really, really stupid. That would be like announcing, like, all of a sudden, like, oh, yeah, by the way, Batman Brave and the Bold, that's actually the Dini universe. It's not its own universe. We changed our mind. Or actually, it's the Adam West universe, which would actually make sense. Anger does not change the fact that your father failed to act. The man had a gun. Did that stop you? All right, so the next thing we've got, also from WonderCon, uh, that Saturday, Greg Rucka ha- held a panel at WonderCon, and during the panel, Rucka said that he was finished, that he finished his last bit of work for DC the day prior, and nothing more is planned. That means the original five-part story that Rucka had planned for Batwoman is not happening. Rucka mentioned that Williams and himself were moved off Detective before they could finish their story. It's basically Alice's origin, showing the kidnapping from her point of view and then the years she spent away. On whether or not he would ever return to finish his Batwoman story, Rucka said that he has been in the industry long enough to know, never say never. J.H. Williams III made this comment about Rucka leaving. I was afraid something like this was going to occur, but held out hope that it wouldn't happen, that DC and Greg could come to some sort of agreement, apparently not going to happen. So, what does this mean for Batwoman and the project I've spent a decent amount of time and thought on? I don't know. 
I do know that DC is firmly committed to this character from what I hear from them. <laughs> yeah, they're firmly committed to the character. Just look at their history. Keep going, Dustin. Keep going. So where does this all leave us? I believe DC will want the character to continue somehow. In what form? I'm not sure. But she'll be back, I'm sure of it. This character has way too much potential just to go by the wise, the wayside. So we should be hearing some sort of news at the appropriate time, I assume. Ian Sattler made a small comment about the future of Batwoman during his editorial during the editorial presentation on Sunday, saying, "We have plans for Batwoman. There's no shelving." After the announcement, the internet blew up with speculation, and Rucka made a comment on his own website to clear up some of the rumors. And he said, so if you're a fan of my work in the field of comics, you've most likely heard the news that I'm no longer doing work for DC. I'm told that speculation is flying fast and furious as to why this is, and apparently, even despite my on-the-record comments, it continues. There is no drama here, folks, as it is as it appears. I'm stepping away from DC to pursue different opportunities. Nothing more nefarious than that. Nothing less sinister. Time is a commodity that is precious to me as it is rare. And there is simply not enough of it. So what's going to happen in Batwoman? Well, one uh, thing that's very interesting is that uh, the June solicitation for Detective Comics has, does not have Batwoman in it. It is a story by Denny O'Neill about Dick Grayson being Robin, Nightwing, and then Batman. And But it does say in the solicitation, stay tuned next month for the return of Batwoman and The Question. So Rucka was writing both Batwoman and The Question, so this is the point where I say, please God, get rid of The Question. Yes, um, I will back up that question 100%. I will back up that statement 100%. <laughs> I will you not know, back up The Question. I will never back up The Question. The thing well, no that, offense to Montoy, I just didn't like that backup. The thing that kind of bugs me about this is, is Rucka seemed to really, you know, he was very passionate about this character. And I don't know, I mean, I guess I just worry about what other writer is going to come in and write her as well. Especially since, since Williams left the book, the book's been good, but it hasn't been what it was. And Rucka was still writing that. I just wonder how long now that, because I feel like Rucka's name being attached to her really helped her become, you know, as successful as she was. So now I just kind of wonder, you know, where they're going to go with all of this, which Ian Sattler, I don't even know that you needed to make that comment. Uh, you know, but okay. No My sh- theory is this. Okay. Rucka was attached to the book, and I think, like he said, they had a five-part story. We saw, I believe, the first two parts. We saw the original introduction of Batwoman and then the whole let's go against Alice thing. We saw Batwoman's origin in part two, and there were still three parts left. Now, if you remember back in February, I believe it was, we heard something about uh, there possibly being a Batwoman miniseries or a series in general. If there was a Batwoman miniseries or series... The idea, well, it was announced by Rucka himself that it was going to happen. So I think what happened was DC came to Rucka and said, listen, Bruce is coming back. He's got to be back in Detective. So you might be able to get one more part done before Bruce comes back in September. So you'll have three issues to get your next part done. But after that, we got to pull you off Detective. Rucka said, okay, fine. Well, then how do I finish my story? And they said, well, what do you think about a Batwoman miniseries or something? 
And for for the se- for the brief second, he was like, "Yeah, I, yeah, I think that's a decent idea. We could do that." And then it fell apart. And I think it fell apart because he realized, "Wait a second! I've told a, a five-part story, the first three parts in one book. Then I'm going to tell the last six issues, or you know, two parts of the story in a miniseries, and then it's not going to make any sense." That, or he just could have been ticked off that, you know, he was, he was going to get, he couldn't tell the story in Detective anymore. Wasn't this thing, you know, like a very, very acclaimed comic book run, not just for yeah, Batman the, and Detective, but like... This thing has won all kinds of awards. He's been nominated for awards, comic book journalism, quote-unquote, like different podcasts and different places like News on Comic Book Resources, constantly blabbing about this thing. I hear podcast about you know even spider-man talking about how good this book is this is uh so of, of course it wasn't gonna last you know and of course uh i know that you know rucka said oh no 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 don't do any speculation but i mean part of me is thinking that dc dropped the ball somewhere which you know which is like bravo dc because again this thing was doing very very good stuff for them and they should have been able to milk this thing they should have been able to make it more successful or whatever somewhere we don't know what happened, but somebody dropped the ball, and that is disappointing. They're pro- and by the way, nice comment, DC, about how you've you know been. What was it that you're that they've been very very committed to the character of Batwoman? Didn't you announce her first series back in 2006, and it was going to be written by Devin Grayson, and then you fired Grayson off the book without telling her, which was a good move because you know Grayson did ruin the Nightwing character, but she ruins you know, a one lot of the- things. Yeah, she ruins a lot of things. Sorry, sorry, Devin Grayson. I'm never going to forgive you for that one story arc. Yeah, Nightwing joins the Mafia. WTF? And not as an undercover person? As an actual, like, joining the Mafia for real? Anyway, you announce this series, but then you get a little scared because Batman begins in the Dark Knight and having a mainstream lesbian character, so you push her off to the side for a few years. You announce the series, you cancel it, you do this, you do that. I mean... It took years for her to even get her own series, and there was a lot of backlash when the original series was canceled because it was seen as DC trying to hide the fact that they had a mainstream gay character after making the big media push for it only weeks or months earlier. And then all of a sudden, when this series comes out, they made, they do the headlines again. Guess what? We got a gay character. Lesbian. Well, on top of, you know, the whole Batwoman thing, it, I mean, DC lo- losing Rucka is you know, is a big loss in itself. I mean, he's been such a huge part of what they've done the last six, seven years across, you know, a lot of different titles, and that's kind of disappointing. But I just, I don't know what what they're going to do now with her. That, you know, he's gone. I'm kind of curious to know, you know, this is is starting to be very reminiscent of what happened with Ed Brudebaker when he left. Right, yeah. I think DC just, you know, they care about their blackest nights and brightest days, and the, the, maybe they don't treat their actual creators too well. Maybe they think that it's all about the events and not about the creators. I could be wrong, but... Well, we do know that they treat certain creators very well, such as Jim <laughs> Lee and Jeff Johns, who, you know... Well, Jeff Johns has only become really good in the last couple of years, and they were very quick to give him a spot uh, in the corporate side of DC. Well, to your point about Ed Brubaker, that uh, that turned out real well for DC. <laughs> yeah, real well in the yeah. fact that uh, he went over to the competition and started writing decent stuff for them. Yeah. 
Good luck at Marvel, Greg Rucka. Maybe they'll treat you better. I'm Mr. White Christmas. I'm Mr. Snow. I'm Mr. Icicle. I'm Mr. Ten Below. Ding, ding! Snow Miser. Whatever I touch turns the snow into clutch. Come on, sing! Louder, come on, sing, 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 come on. He's Mr. Yes, come on, louder. All right, so the next thing we've got, also from WonderCon, there was a panel held for Gail Simone, and Simone mostly talked about her work on Wonder Woman and Secret Six, but did give a brief mention at the Birds of Prey work. Um, she did say, I've created a new villain for Birds of Prey right off the bat. Everyone who's seen this villain is very happy with and very scared by them. Simone also went on to say that there has been a less, there will be a lot less romantic relationship that plagued the book before. She wants to have strong female characters that do not bicker about men. She also said that Barbara Gordon has become the 911 of the DC Universe. <laughs> yeah, somebody once said... Uh... There's a test that you can do. Open up any comic book and look for a scene where there's two women having a conversation that isn't about a man. It's a lot harder than it sounds. So if Gail Simone can pass that test, that's one step of good non-cliché writing. But you know, I'm being a little pessimistic here because Gail Simone, she's, she's awesome. And as much as I ranted about this book being relaunched with a shiny new number one less than a, two years later, uh, I do think that she's going to do good. Agreed. He was good. Yeah? How good? Good. I see. The next thing we've got is also from WonderCon. Uh, Jeff Johns had his own panel, and he did give a couple mentions about his upcoming Batman Earth 1. He said, Our Alfred is a little more gruff and grumble, and you'll see why. He never intended to be a butler, he hates wearing suits, and he has a big attitude problem. He also mentioned that the first book will introduce a new villain, and the second will feature Riddler as the main villain. John said that the Batman of Earth-1 is not as good at his job than the Batman of the DC Universe. Oh, cool. They're advertising a book about a Batman saying he's not as experienced as he is now, because they say that every time they advertise an alternate continuity Batman, I just... I understand what they're trying to do, but I get so sick of hearing that when they're advertising. It's like, this isn't the super smart detective Batman that you know. This Batman, and you could like hear the movie trailer guy's voice, is a lot less experienced. <laughs> and now, Extreme Alfred, this isn't your father's Alfred. He hates suits. And he doesn't say, sir, he has a big attitude problem. I'm like picturing like hip-hop Alfred or something. <laughs> For the first time, America's most exciting and legendary motion picture hero comes to the screen like you've never seen him before. So the last bit of news out of San Francisco at WonderCon was from the DCU editorial panel. Just a couple highlights to touch on. A fan asked Brian Q. Miller if he would be willing to revisit obscure female villains in background. Miller replied, we can do that. Plans for Batman Beyond were asked about, and Sattler said that Batman Beyond and Justice League Unlimited will be featured in the upcoming Superman Batman Annual. A question about Cassandra Kane was asked, and Sattler replied, There's a plan. I don't know if it's in action. Um, a fan asked about the possibility of a Birds of Prey Batgirl crossover, and Miller then said to Simone, 
We'll talk about that later. Sattler was asked about the return of the Joker, to which he replied he couldn't spoil it, but he did mention that Hush will appear will be appearing in Return of Bruce Wayne. And that's pretty much all we've got as far as WonderCon news. I'm, I'm surprised Sattler, in the response to Batman Beyond, just didn't answer with Adam Beechin. Two words. Adam Beach. Adam Beach. <laughs> uh, so, Cassandra Kane plans. You know, there's a plan. It's not an action. That's so funny because when we were all whining last year about Cassandra Kane just like undressing on a rooftop and saying, Bruce is dead. I'm out. See you later. Wasn't DC saying, don't worry. Cassandra Kane will be one of the characters to watch in the year 2010. And they said this on a few occasions. We're in April of this year right now. And there's not a plan in action. So, yeah, she's definitely a well, character. Well, that Sattler is not aware of. If this was a character of the watch for DC, then Sattler would be aware of it. You would think so. It's, it, it's, it's, she's a character of the watch in a Where's Waldo sort I, of I way. Think, I, I do, too, that he sometimes is out of the loop about things that are going on. I don't, uh, I don't know. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm always, hoping, I guess. Yeah. So, you know, someone on iTunes said that they love my rant, so, you know, they're going to really love this episode. You can't let your emotions get the best of you. All right, so the very last bit of news we have in general was from April 8th, and there was a post on The Source about the Eisner Award nominations. And as far as what, in regards to what received uh, nominations for Batman creators... J.H. Williams III was the only one, but he was honored with the nomination for not only his cover art, but also his interior work. Obviously from Detective Comics working on Batwoman. Hmm. That, that's good, you know. They're nominating this series, you know, this run. It's deserving an award, and I hope it continues for a long time so we can get more. Oh, wait. Welcome yeah. left. Oh. And this Alice story is going to be finished by some second-rate writer and artist who's going to do something completely different. Hello, David Hine. Out- <laughs> but Alice, but you died. Yes, but I'm actually a clone of your sister who can morph into a giant slug. <laughs> <laughs> So that's all the news we've got. Let's get into our upcoming trade paperbacks. We only have one. It's coming out on April 28th, and it is Red Robin the Grail. The solicitation reads, A new Batman watches over Gotham City, but Tim Drake won't give up on the old one in this volume collecting Red Robin number 1 through 5. In his new guise as Red Robin, Tim won't rest until Bruce Wayne is found. It'll be 128 pages and be $17.99. Alright, so that's all we've got for that. Let's get into our comic reviews. And we do have, like I said, five comics to cover. So, start off with Batman Confidential. I'll take it from here. You can't scare me, Batman. Let me give you one word of advice. Okay. I'll tell, I'll tell. What did he say? You don't want to know. Batman Confidential number 43, written and drawn by Sam Keith, 
And this is the conclusion to the ghost storyline. The issue begins with Batman awaiting the arrival of the creature, which, of course, it soon arrives. Uh, Batman is prepared. He knows the creature is weaker and is not after him but Collie, and this is why he stands by her door waiting. We then cut to Collie, who again relives the death of her mother. She knows Batman is outside protecting her, but she doubts that he can stop what is after her. The ghost continues to circle her building, and she knows it. She begins to think about her relationship with Batman and how she wants to be let inside his life. She wants to change her luck. It is soon dawn, and Kali opens the door to meet Batman. They are both glad to see what, that they are alive. Kali offers her lucky four-leaf clover to Batman. He tells her that it won't be necessary, which leads her to question their relationship. He tells her that there is no room for her in his life, which leads her to being upset but still understanding. Batman then asks to see the clover, but Kali says that he will come back to her someday, and then he can see the clover. Kali then asks if he would like to go see a movie. She says, Zorro is playing. And Batman replies, seen it. A little irony there. In the same panel, we see a shadowy figure in Kali's apartment reaching for her purse. The figure is unnoticed by Kali or Batman. Batman tells her he has to leave, and Kali then slams the door shut. When she turns back into the apartment, she sees the thief. He hits her, and Batman hears the commotion from the outside. He comes through the door and lands a straight shot to the thief. With Batman a hold of the thief, he explains that some guy in the alley paid him to go steal the purse. Batman and Kali exit into the alley, where they find a rather distraught police officer. He explains that ghosts had, have been entering his thoughts and made him re- relive a painful childhood memory. He killed several of the victims in the prior previous issues, and when he heard Kali talk about his gun, he panicked. Batman tries to calm the officer, but the officer proceeds to shoot himself in the head. As Batman turns to call it in to Gordon, Kali begins to walk away. She then slips and cracks her head on the pavement. Batman quickly comes to her aid and calls for an ambulance. She briefly regains consciousness and asks Batman to hold on to the clover when the ambulance arrives. She then dies. Ten minutes later, Gordon and the ambulance arrive. Gordon apologizes for being late. Batman informs him of one of his men in the alley and the death of Kali. Gordon tells him he is sorry and then asks about the clover that Batman is holding. Gordon tells him it wasn't his fault and tells him about all the lies Batman has saved. Batman interrupts with, I've never known anyone like her. Gordon then replies with, one of a kind, you know, legend has it if a maiden hangs a clover over the door, the next man who enters the doorway may be worthy to steal her heart. And that is the end of Batman Confidential number 43. Always trying to find a cure, aren't you? Can you blame me? No, but it's made you predictable. How can I follow a story as awesome as that? Well, the story of the angry outsiders who are constantly angry and yelling and fighting at each other continues. And lo and behold, the third issue of this run... And the third issue of this run is exactly identical to the first two. Um, I can sum it up in one sentence. The outsiders all yell and fight at each other, but let me give you guys a little longer synopsis. Black Lightning and Geoforce are fighting, each telling each other how much they suck and how stupid they are, and I really wish I was paraphrasing here, but I'm not. Metamorpho tries to interfere to stop them, but Eradicator uses his heat vision to convince Metamorpho to stay put. Alfred barges into a senator having lunch, and the senator, because he's in this book too, is also very rude to Alfred, like, oh, you're waiting tables now, and Alfred's like, oh, I see that this lunch was so important that you haven't taken my calls. And he's like, okay, anyway, I need to get my friend's safe patches out of Mark Hovey's. Like, you and your Bruce Wayne money can't help me now, Alfred. So Alfred leaves, and then the Sentinel and his men discuss a strike on New Krypton, which is tying into something going on in a, to a complete other book. 
So, back to the fight. Metamorpho is told to stay out of the fight by Eradicator. He says, the king was challenged and he must oblige. <sighs> There's more fight. And, and here's some of the great comic book dialogue that we get during the fight. Shut up! Yeah. Geoforce gets some kind of a vision of his sister and himself as children after a lightning bolt from Black Lightning hits him. And it's like he's getting the spiritual vision, and he's like, wow, I've really been a jerk. I should rethink my a-hole ways. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to change. So he wakes up, and apparently this was in there for no reason, because this little spiritual journey he has, it does nothing. Because once he wakes up, he still tells Lightning that he's going to kick his butt. And that he's your jerk and everything else. What was the point of that? Metamorpho realizes, oh wait, I can uh, turn into different elements and stun Eradicator. So he does that and flies his teammates away. And then somewhere, something breaks out of a vault randomly, which is setting up a future storyline. So Black Lightning and Geoforce are still fighting, and uh, this is the dialogue that we get. Why don't you just give up? And then Black Lightning, why don't you just kiss my black... And that sentence isn't finished, but you can see where that was going. Great comic book dialogue. Great comic book dialogue right there. And as Black Lightning's finishing that little, oh no, you didn't sentence, he does this like big explosion of, no pun intended, Black Lightning. It does a big shockwave, which everyone feels, and Lightning's like, oh no, I may have killed someone. Then Geoforce emerges from the wreckage and is about to execute Black Lightning for treason. When Katana intervenes, she's like, there will be no killing tonight. And he's like, oh, Katana, my only ally, you are right. So he exiles the outsiders, except for Katana, from Markovia, which is, you know, didn't they kind of want to leave in the first place? And then tells Eradicator and her that they will put together a new team of outsiders. That's it. Looks like a slow night, Alfred. When I finish patrolling this area, I'm heading home. Excellent timing, Master Bruce. I've just taken dinner out of the oven. Looks like trouble at Tarnower Financial, Alfred. I won't be home early after all. <sighs> Please don't take this the wrong way, sir, that your goose is cooked. All right, Batman Robin number 11. We continue the story where we last, in the last issue, number 10, we saw Oberdin Sexton coming across Damien running through the graveyard by Wayne Manor. Anyway, this one starts off with a gentleman who has the letter W whipped into the back of him, and the DEA is storming his house. He jumps on a helicopter and takes off. Then we see Batman in the bottom where we last saw him, seeing the name Thomas written all over the wall around the bigger word, which says Barbados. Batman, Dick Grayson, says that he's going to proceed towards the... Uh, he's going to see what happens when he stands on the bat symbol. Alfred tells him to be careful. We then cut to the graveyard where we see the fiends, they call themselves the fiends, about to attack Oberdin Sexton and Damien. They basically fight each other back and forth for quite some time. Oberdin Sexton can certainly hold his own when all of a sudden Talia al Ghul, through her little Manchurian candidate upload sequence, takes control of Damien through a spinal link connection and has her scientists linked to him. When we cut back to the graveyard, we see Alfred flying overhead in the Batmobile, which 
distracts a decent amount of these fiends, so Obert and Sexton can take some more of them out. Batman is continuing down a path within this cave, and he's coming to a bunch of gates that are closing in front of him, so he has to slide under. He then comes to a giant bat, or half-bat, half-human guy, I guess you could call him Man-Bat, but it's stone that's been there for quite some time, carved out of one of the stalagmites in the ceiling. Barbados is the creature, and it's somebody that Thomas Wayne was trying to summon back in 1765. We continue on, and we see more Damien fighting these fiends, along with Oberton Sexton fighting more of these fiends, and it continues and continues and continues. Then Damien tells Oberton Sexton that he knows he's not from England, he has to be somebody else because he knows how to imitate voices, and he can tell that the accent is fake. So he says, so you're not who you say you are, so who are you? And the Batmobile appears overhead again, and Damien says, I don't know, are you Bruce Wayne? And Oberdin Sexton stands there and says that he believed Wayne was the intended victim of a killer, that's why he came to the house. Then all of a sudden we click back to Talia, who's about to take control of Damien again. Damien's trying to warn Oberdin Sexton of it, but it wasn't enough time. He hits him over the head with a shovel. Batman pops out from a crypt. Talia hands over the controls to Damien to Slade Wilson, also known as Deathstroke the Terminator, and Damien whacks Oberdin Sexton over the head. Batman comes out of a crypt and is about to take out Batman and that's pretty much where we leave off with Deathstroke kind of in charge of whether or not to kill Batman. And that's the end of Batman Robin number 11. What? A problem, sir? It's not here. What's not here, sir? You know what I'm talking about. The entrance to the Batcave. Why is it sealed up? Batcave? I'm sorry, I don't... That's right, Alfred. The Batcave. It's a big hole in the ground with a big car in it that's all black. Remember? Son, you sound upset. Is something the matter? No. No, it's impossible. No. It can't be you. It can't be. Well... When we last left everybody, and before we got some fill-in issues because this is a Paul Dini title being written in the year 2010, when we last left the girls, there was a dead nurse, and it looked like the sirens were being framed from the murder. Nigma was sent to investigate, but he wound up getting captured by someone called Aesop. And that's where we're leaving things now. Nigma is captured by Aesop and hung over live, vicious animals in a cage. Aesop wants to know if Nigma is really reformed or faking it. He does his whole monologuing thing. He says that Catwoman's current hideout, which she bought from the broker, was actually a hideout that he bought from the broker and used to use. But during the last Catwoman-Hush confrontation, Hush had shot Aesop, and while he was in the hospital, the broker sold his hideout to Selina. The nurse who was killed, and who we framed the sirens for that other issue, was actually the nurse who helped to rehabilitate him. He hoped that framing the girls would scare them out of his hideout so he can reclaim it. While he's doing all this, the sirens have actually been on the roof listening the whole time to this exchange and pronounced mystery solved. Turns out they were just using Edward Nigma without his knowledge as bait to draw the killer out. 
which is really unlike them, kind of, but whatever. The girls head into the hideout, and then they see Harley's hyenas hiding because they're scared about all the new animals. And they use those hyenas to lure Aesop's henchwomen into a trap. And then it's kind of like the Arkham Asylum video game. They're wandering around, and they're silently taken out without Aesop knowing that the sirens are even in the building. Nygma is able to do some fast talking and convince Aesop that he's faking his rehabilitation and that he can help clear Aesop of this murder and point it towards someone else. So Aesop agrees to let him out, but then the girls show up, kicking butts, which convinces Aesop that Eddie has betrayed him. While everyone is arguing over who betrayed who, Aesop lets his vicious animals free to attack the girls and Eddie. Catwoman turns the lions against him, though, and the hyenas also help turn the tables. Aesop is viciously dragged out by the animals to the police. Edward tries to convince Commissioner Gordon that the girls didn't do the murder that was done last issue, and the forensics team backs it up, so he lets the girls go. But now he knows where their hideout is, and it's compromised. The girls each try to thank Nygma in their own way, Poison Ivy by just, you know, kind of nodding at him, Harley Quinn by kissing him, and Selena Kyle by writing him a big check, which Edward Nygma plans on ripping up. He feels that the girls have betrayed him, and this really surprises him because the four of these people have never betrayed each other in the past, especially the Riddler never betraying those girls, which is how the series started because he was being held hostage as revenge for his original betrayal of them. But whatever. He walks off angry for being used and is determined that he's going to make it on his own now without the sirens. Nice work, Butterfingers. Why didn't you just turn on the bat signal while you were at it? I wasn't trying to get caught. Could have fooled me. Hey, aren't you that plant lady, Poison Oaky? Ivy, Poison Ivy. Sorry. Harley Quinn, pleased to meet you. Detective Comics 863, written by Greg Rucka and art by Jock and Scott Collins, and this is the epic conclusion of the Cutter storyline. The issue opens with a split panel again. We see that the Cutter Killer turns out to be the same man that Batman was chasing in the past case. We also see that the Cutter Killer has been kidnapping girls for his girl. Uh, the woman is covered in bondage and claims that the victim's ears are her ears and she wants them. The killer, Cutter Killer is beginning to prep for the surgery. We cut to the past where Gordon is explaining that Austin Phelps fits for Vanessa's kidnapping. Gordon explains he was at the home the night she was kidnapped and he operates out of a van. Exactly just like the Cutter Killer. Batman tells Gordon to find that van. We cut back to present time where Kate is being informed by her father that the Cutter Killer has taken her cousin Betty. Kate's father wants to help and Kate tells him to use the GPS to find the Cutter's car. Kate speeds off on the Ducati. The panels then split again and we see both Batman and Batwoman pursuing their killers with the help of Gordon and the Colonel. They both find the vehicles and surround the hideaways. Both Batman and Kate surprise Austin Phelps, a.k.a. the Cutter Killer. Batman and Kate tell him it's over, but Phelps attacks. Both are successful in defeating Phelps. However, Vanessa grabs a hold of, of a knife and stabs Batman, while in Batwoman's situation, she grabs a hold of Betty. Batwoman is able to trick Vanessa, and Betty and Kate make quick work of her. We learn that Vanessa has Stockholm Syndrome, and that the doctor's care the first time she was kidnapped was unsuccessful. We then cut back to Betty and Kate talking. Betty explains to Kate that Cutter and Vanessa have a history. They both keep living in the past just like Kate. Betty reveals that she knows that Kate is Batwoman. Kate angrily asks Betty what she wants from her, and Betty takes off her coat, and we see her in the Flamebird costume. I want in, Betty says, and that's the end of Detective Comics 863. 
The Question Co-Feature, Chapter 2, Part 4 of The Pipeline Story, written by Greg Rucco with art by Coley Hamner. We open with Renee and Helena being tortured, and the Kalung Island representatives want answers. The torture is brought to a halt, and the two t- are taken up to meet with the president of the island, Veronica Kale. Kale pulls out the software and explains that she is aware of the network using the island, but she takes a paycheck. Renee and Helena convince Kale that it is unethical and the network is using her to hide. All they want is the top dog. Kale doesn't have a name but a location, Syria. Girls travel to Syria and begin to infiltrate the hideout. Just as they are about to enter the inside, they are confronted by Vandal Savage. To be continued. Diana, I'd like to introduce you to my fiancé. Vandal Savage. Alright, so that's going to take us into a review wrap-up. Let's start off with Outsiders. What the heck? Why? I'd love to know what went through somebody's mind when they're like, yes, let's still let Dan DiDio do this story. Because, as Josh pointed out many times throughout his review, the dialogue sucks. It's not really comic dialogue. It's dialogue that you would actually see people saying. It's very dumb. It's, it's not dialogue that uh, is meaningful at all. It's very stupid. Outsiders is becoming one of those books where it's going at the bottom of the stack very quickly. That's all I'm going to say. My reaction when I was told I was reviewing this title was a big, heck no, oh my god, no. Because after I reviewed the first issue of Didio's Run, Didio's Run, I said there is no way I'm ever reviewing this or reading this title again. It was painful. But then I refused to review it. Yeah, it's. I mean, we we cannot give away a review spot for this book. This is painful to read, and the dialogue, it's like 10-year-old boys in a schoolyard fighting to have read too much 90s comics. Now, even the 90s comics had better dialogue than this, like, kiss my black, and, you know, shut up, and... Why? Fighting side by side earlier, and now Geoforce is like ready to like execute him and behead Black Lightning. I know that Geoforce isn't exactly Mister Cute and Cuddly, but come on. I mean, yes, I guess it could. You know, if a writer can make it believable that somebody would not only turn on his teammates but want to murder them, maybe I could buy it. But I ain't buying it here. It's just all of a sudden everybody's angry at each other. Everyone, even Alfred, even the senator. This is, it's. It's like it was written by a 10-year-old who read too much bad 90s Marvel comics. I just want someone to smile and not be sinister. <laughs> I actually think that maybe Dan DiDio is uh, reflecting the emotions of the DC offices into the Outsider book. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, this is just... It's so bad. It's so bad. This is... Dustin was saying a few months ago on one of the comic casts, he's like, are they going to start making this a Superman title and not a Batman title? Well, some of those fears are uh, getting put out there because we have that whole tie-in to, okay, we're going to strike on new Krypton as soon as we get the president's approval. So, yay there, you know, for a Batman title. <laughs> yeah. All right. Overall, I'm going to give this uh, measly one out of five batterings. It'll be a zero, but if I can give it a negative five, I would. <laughs> I'll give it half a battering out of five. All right, so that's going to give it an average of a half a battering out of five. <laughs> oh, 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 wow. <laughs> All right, so the next book we've got is Batman Confidential. You know, when this story first started, it, it wasn't bad. 
again, this is something that I think someone had the bright idea, hey, let's uh, turn something that could be three issues into five issues, and that was the whole idea. I think it was drawn out, and the conclusion of this story really didn't seem as big and eventful as it should have been after taking place over five issues. I also believe that because of this graphic novel that's coming out in June, which I didn't even really know anything about until I was working on something and was checking DC's website and saw that there's a graphic novel coming out in June by Sam Keith, where he's not only writing but also doing the art. And I started to think, hmm, maybe they did this five-part thing in Confidential to get some more hype around Sam Keith. I don't know. But... As long as it's going to be a graphic novel and it's not going to be spread out over more pages than it needs to, I suppose it'll be better than this. So I'm going to give this issue only two out of five batterings. I'm going to give it a batarang and a half. It's drawn out. I'm not really interested in this whole story. And, oh, legend has it that the shamrock and, you know, the next person who walks in will steal her. Give me a break. Yeah, you know, for something that, a storyline that was pretty intriguing for a while, and I still really love the artwork, the the way that this was ended, it just seemed like at some point he, Sam Keith just didn't know what to do anymore. So he has her trip because she's blind and crack her head and she dies. Uh, what? What? what, what, what? I, it, it almost makes... And I don't like when writers do this either. It almost makes you reading those first four issues completely completely pointless. Because the whole time you're just waiting, really, at some point, you're just waiting to find out what this, this creature thing was. And I, it turns out to really not, not matter. And then she dies because she's blind and she trips. Yeah, it was pretty bad. Uh, the artwork... I really like those, so I'll give it two out of five batterings. All right, so that's going to give it an average of two out of five batterings. So let's go into our next one, Batman Robin number 11. Now, this issue, again, um, I'm starting to see a trend with every single three-part story with Grant Morrison in it, and it's that the second issue doesn't really share a whole lot of insight into what's going on within this storyline. It's almost as if these stories could be, I guess, I wouldn't say three issues i'd say they could be two issues because they could easily chop out some stuff and make it two issues again i despise filler things and this seemed like a whole lot of filler but i will say that i am intrigued to know who oberton sexton is and i'm hoping we find out in the next issue i do find it interesting that damien for some reason believes that uh oberton sexton is actually bruce wayne considering I would assume that if it's Bruce Wayne, he wouldn't be going around telling Batman that Bruce Wayne is the murderer. That being said, the art was fine, didn't have any issues, I just felt like this was a filler issue, so I'm only going to give it three out of five batterings. I didn't mind the art, uh, this whole Talia controlling Damien thing is a little... I don't know. It, it it doesn't feel right to me. It doesn't. I, I don't know how much I feel it's working for the story, and I don't know how much I feel it works for Talia's character, who's kind of been inconsistent over the years. You know, she's. I know that that's part of her thing. She's ambiguous. She's an ally, then she's a villain. But I mean, she's just been all over the charts more than usual. I mean, you know, what is this woman's end game? 
let me throw something out there. Could Ob- could Sexton be uh, Bruce Wayne? I mean, we are dealing with a lot of time travel and stuff here, and maybe this is him telling him that uh, Bruce Wayne's the murderer. Maybe it's some sort of elaborate hoax that I mean, because Bruce used to do this kind of tricks to the Batman family all the time. He set up this whole thing where Alfred pretended to be an ancient Alfred from the future and tell Tim Drake that one of the members of the Batman family was going to betray everyone in the 10 years into the future and destroy the world. So I'm not dismissing that theory. I'm not dismissing it yet. I don't think that it's true, but I'm, I'm keeping it on the table as a possibility. Four out of five batterings, though. The one thing I question with Obert and Sexton is, why is he wearing the glasses? Uh, that's the one thing that kind of completely throws me off here. Uh, and I love, I'm reading online some forums that if it's not Bruce Wayne, well, then it has to be the Joker. What? what? Those are two completely different people. That No. But, yeah, this... I'm, I'm starting to see the trend, and God forbid I say something bad about Grant Morrison, but, you know, it, it does seem like the second act of his three-act stories seem to really kind of... It's, it's like he's stalling a little bit of time. He's stalling the reader. Um, I liked the artwork. I will say, though, that Andy Clark kind of draws a rough-looking Tally Al Ghoul. But, uh, <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> other than that, you know, this was an enjoyable issue, but I'll give, it, I'll give it four out of five batterings. All right, so that's going to give it an average of four out of five batterings. Uh, let's move into Gotham City Sirens. I kind of like to see... Older villains that haven't really been seen in a while come back with Dr. Asip. But uh, I think this whole Riddler thing is becoming really annoying. I'm really getting tired of it. And just as this part wraps up, we're not going to see Riddler in the next issue of Gotham City Sirens. Oh, wait, he's going to appear in the next issue of Batman. And he's going to take center stage. And I'm just really getting tired of this Riddler thing because... It's almost as if they're trying to imply that we should be noticing something, but I don't think anybody's noticing anything. I think the dialogue in Gotham City Sirens and the dialogue that we've, the little bits that we've seen in Batman doesn't really explain a whole lot of anything. Yeah, he had an explosion go off in his face. Wonderful. We've seen that happen to numerous characters. That doesn't mean they become like psychos. Well, at least not all the time, I should say. But nonetheless, uh, overall, it was a decent story. I'm not going to go as far as to say it was a great story, but it was a good story. I will give compliments to Gillian Marge because the one thing that man can do is he can draw women, and it seems like Paul Dini just gives him more and more women to draw. You know, it's 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 not enough that there's three main the three main characters of the book are women. He has to have women henchmen for Doctor Asip. So uh, overall, I'm going to give it three out of five batterings. I love when Paul Dini kind of brings things from his old arcs back in and ties it together, but he's bringing in somebody who was, you know, had a minor role in that whole Catwoman versus Hush war that was in Detective Comics about a year or two ago, and he's bringing them back for a current story now. That would be great if he didn't just do the same thing in uh, Streets of Gotham. And that whole thing, he's like, oh, well, the girls betrayed me, so I'm leaving them. Like I mentioned in the review wrap-up, how many times have you betrayed Catwoman at this point? And weren't you tied up in a prisoner in one of their apartments recently at the beginning of the Gotham City Siren series because you had betrayed them? You're acting like four thieves living together in a hideout. And 
you're betrayed. It's like this big shocking surprise. I think that they just wanted a new status quo for Edward Nigma, and they needed an excuse to drive a wedge between him and the sirens. Story was kind of enjoyable, and I'm, you know, I like the Paul Dini banter, but I don't think it worked as well here. Like the whole, well, let's hope we save him soon. I'm starting a new job at Star Labs tomorrow. Can I come and visit you? No. I want my job to last more than an hour. Ha 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 ha. No. No. Still, like uh, Dustin says, the art's good, and I don't hate the Paul Dini writing. It just wasn't as strong here as it usually was, and this whole thing with Edward Nigma stunk of editorial mandate. If it wasn't an editorial mandate, then it was even more stupid. Otherwise, I'm going to have to say three out of five batterings. Yeah, Gilliam March, he's he's good on this book. We'll see what he does on Batman, but he works well. Yeah, the Riddler just it's so everything's so conflicted there. And uh I wonder if it has something to do with the timelines because Batman seems to be on a completely different timeline from what everything else is. But um because this book is always late. That's true too. I know you said something about a an issue written by Paul Dini in two thousand ten. That is, uh, that's a rarity. So, um, but anyways, you know, it's, it's sirens with me, so it's kind of whatever. But, uh, yeah, three out of five batterings. So that's going to give it three out of five batterings. Detective Comics 863. I got to say, if this is the last issue of Detective Comics written by Greg Rucka, not so great. I, the one thing I don't understand, and I, and I, I just can't get over this, is... Okay, we get that the, the main character's a lesbian. It's not really that big of a deal, whatever. But they keep throwing these little bits in here, and I've noticed this in past stories, too, where it's, you would never see it in a normal comic, so why are you seeing it in this comic? What was the point of having the cutter, having the, his, his victims tied up with bondage stuff? What? I, I don't get it. I you mean, can't like, handle the cutting edge lesbianism in the book. Like I, I don't, I don't understand what the reason behind it is. It's like, okay, I don't see this in a normal book, so why am I seeing it in a book where the characters lesbian? Unless it has to do with each other. Maybe I'm reading too much into it. I don't know, but it just seems really strange that that would be in a book that features a lesbian as the main character. That's just weird to me. Um, that being said, uh, I think the question code feature is completely pointless, and I can't wait till it goes away. Um, I'm also going to say that um, this story really was pointless, and it seems like well, J.H. Williams needed a break so he could con- he could keep doing the awesome art that he was doing, and Rucka threw this story together in a few quick weeks so that DC wouldn't have to kick him off the book because Williams didn't have any art. And in that regard, I think it was kind of pointless. Um, also, not such a keen on the cover of the book, because I don't know why, maybe I'm just a weirdo and I noticed this, but uh, the chest section of Batwoman is very prominent at certain aspects. And that's all I'm going to say. You can look at it and you'll see what I'm talking about. I'm glad they're bringing Flamebird back. <laughs> she's a, I mean, she's a goofy Silver Age character because she was the original Batgirl. But, but- just real quickly, are they now? I mean, well, she wants David, in. So unless maybe the next issue will like have David Kate Hines' next issue. Coat. 
<laughs> the first page of the next issue, Kate can't. Kate closes her code saying, "No, you're out." Oh, yeah. I'm assuming that they're setting up for something, so that gives it an extra battering in my book. Otherwise, after J.H. Williams left, this whole kind of intermediate story, it hasn't really been catching my attention too much. It's not bad writing; it's just not over-the-top awesome writing, which I think, that, like Dustin said, he may have thrown this together quickly, he may have not. I, you know, it's stupid to speculate, but we're a comic podcast, that's what we do, deal with it. Four out of five batterings. It would have been three out of five, but, you know, go Flamebird. If this, I agree, if this is, you know, Greg Rucka's last issue on Detective, then this is kind of disappointing. And I just feel like the whole time I'm reading these issues, it's like, well, what if J.H. Williams would have drawn this? And it's not that Jock isn't good. It's just that he's not J.H. Williams. I don't know. This was, you know, your typical kind of police procedural thing, but it's, it, wasn't, it wasn't so good. And Scott Collins, I actually really liked it when he started taking over the, uh, the artwork about halfway through the book. Um, yeah, and the question is just throw it out. Get get rid of that. It's it's not adding anything extra to the book. If anything, it's hurting it. So for detective, I'd give three out of five batterings. All right. So that's going to give it an average of three out of five batterings. That's going to be the end of our review wrap up, and let's throw it over to Nick with bat books for beginners. Hello there faithful listener and welcome to another edition of Bat Books for Beginners where I, Nick, review a Batman trade paperback with my limited comic experience. I've slowly been working my way through Batman's continuity and uh, today I'll be looking at a one-shot that was published in 1988 which is the Batgirl Special. This was written by Barbara Randall and drawn by Barry Kitson and Bruce D. Patterson. And many people consider this story to be the last Barbara Gordon Batgirl story. I've also tried something a little bit different today, so I'll see if you can pick up on that. Anyway, on with the story. Gotham City, like any other large metropolis, abounds in girls of all shapes and sizes. Debutantes, nurses, stenographers, and librarians. Like this librarian in the Gotham City Library, as the closing hour nears, finishing a service for a very distinguished customer, millionaire Bruce Wayne. Okay, so let's get on with the plot of the last Barbara Gordon Batgirl story. The book opens with Barbara four years ago, involved in a hostage situation with a villain called Cormorant, who's holding a young girl. Cormorant shoots Babs and severely hurts her, but she does manage to escape. And Babs states that he, Cormorant, had killed part of her, and she's feared that that villain ever since. A few years later, we find Barbara at the Gotham Public Library, where she and her staff have just discovered a man brutally murdered behind one of the bookshelves. And there's a clue with the body that leads her to believe that the murderer is Cormorant. As I said, she faced off against him a few years ago. Barbara remembers that negative moment in her career, 
that that confrontation had after he shot her and left her to die. The experience did shatter her confidence and she's a little hesitant to track him down, though simultaneously pleased to have the opportunity to regain something of herself. Meanwhile, a childhood friend, Marcy, has appeared on the doorstep of Barbara's house and begins berating her about being Batgirl. Batgirl is a concept that Barbara and Marcy created when they were little girls where they designed ragdolls based on two big heroes in the news, thereby creating the concepts for Batgirl and Supergirl. Marcy has easily figured out who the Batgirl in the news was and is there to talk Barbara out of her crime-fighting career. Of course, the timing couldn't be worse and Babs has to deal with Marcy's anger when she insists on following up on Cormorant. And to complicate things, there's a costumed serial killer in Gotham called Slash, who's been leaving the bodies of men who have escaped prosecution for crimes against women. Mossy is unsuccessful at first in convincing Barbara to stop, now that Barbara is building her confidence to go and face Cormorant. But Cormorant, meanwhile, has received a phone call from someone, and he accepts a contract to kill Slash. Meanwhile, Slash has received a folder about Cormorant's past, and she's planning to assassinate him. Barbara does agree that it is time to retire as Batgirl. She insists to herself on wrapping up this last case and sneaks off back to Cormorant's house where she confronts him. It looks for a moment like it will end poorly for Barbara, as he has her at the wrong end of his shotgun and is laying a case for self-defence. He backs her outside of his house to stage the scene properly, but his long-suffering wife locks the door behind him. When Slash shows up a minute later, Cormoran can't escape, and the two villains of the piece begin to battle, with Batgirl caught in the crossfire. Slash is knocked down, and Cormoran turns back to Batgirl to finish her off, but Mrs. Cormoran sneaks out of the house and places one of her husband's guns in Slash's hand, saying, here it is, finish your work, suggesting that Mrs. Cormoran's the one who hired Slash. Cormoran is shot in the head by Slash, who then collapses herself. Slash is taken away, and we never find out who she was. We then see some happy moments between Barbara and Marcy, during which Barbara makes a gift of the Batgirl costume to Marcy, and we learn Babs has now officially retired as Batgirl, looking to live a normal life again. Closing the chapter on Barbara Gordon's Batgirl career. Here we are, Mr. Wayne. I'm sorry it took so long. This is the only book on the Blue Monarch Heliconius butterfly that's still in print. I certainly appreciate your trouble. You're new here, aren't you? Yes, I just started working here recently, but it isn't as if we're complete strangers, Mr. Wayne. No? I'm Commissioner Gordon's daughter. Oh, yes. He did say that he had a daughter away at college. I'm afraid he's kept you under wraps far too long. Thank you. Well, thank you very much. Good night. Good night, Mr. Wayne. Now, in this book, I enjoyed seeing that uh, Babs was already portrayed here as the proficient computer hacker that we're going to know later as Oracle when we see Barbara acting uh, with the library computers to support her crime-fighting efforts. And there's a good foreshadowing moment when Marcy successfully convinces Babs to give up being Batgirl and to use her memory and intelligence to solve crimes and then call the cops for the arrest, again looking towards 
the Oracle era. I thought this was a good sized story. Um, I enjoyed this book. It was more lengthy. and There was rather more to get into than the short stories that have no depth, which don't usually interest me. So for a one-shot, I was quite impressed with this one. It would have been nice to get some backstory on Marcy. I didn't have a clue who she was. And that's mostly down to me not having read enough. But they needed something in the comic just to tell me a bit more about Marcy. Now, Slash is a character. We're supposed to, well, I certainly thought it was Marcy. And I imagine the author was trying to try and shock us when we find out that it is Marcy. That's who I suspected. Because usually when a character comes in to meet the hero, that person tends to be the villain. However... The identity of Slash was never revealed, which is actually nice to see. Something a bit different, refreshing. Unlike a Scooby-Doo episode where we get the reveal at the end and it turns out to be the hero's friend, it's, it's nearly always that new character that gets involved. So in this case, it would have been Marcy. That's who I was expecting. That's what I thought was going to happen, but it was nice to not see that. As usual with Barbara, unlike some of the other heroes in the Bat family, her humanity is... is often portrayed and she struggles to really stick with her persona and she seems like a normal human being she makes mistakes makes her retirement seem all the more sensible and realistic as a decision for the character to make she does seem to be good at tracking down the villains though we've seen that already finding the evidence but we also saw when she gets into the action she can get in trouble so unlike bruce she's got one part the detective bit the other part is lacking just a bit from what this story was telling us. So clearly that's uh, a good decision for her to retire. After making the tough decision as well of attacking Slash to save Cormorant, which was something she didn't want to do, that I think was the moment she decided not to do this anymore. That really reiterated to her that Slash showed her the depth someone has to sink to to be truly effective with some villains. And it's a depth that Barbara isn't really willing to go. I thought the villain was portrayed fairly well, Slash I mean, as the Jack the Ripper type murderer taking out certain men who were who treated women pretty badly. She was quite menacing and threatening, and more interesting than I expected. Cormorant on the other hand was a little bit boring. And at the end, Marcy and Babs talk about anyone could wear the Batgirl costume in the future. And they actually stated, do you think there is a little Babs out there now? As we know, there have been several Batgirls since Barbara, like the Robin costume, but uh, it keeps getting passed on. But this is the end of the original, and some may say the best. I mean, I've really enjoyed Barbara as Batgirl. I think she's been a very good character. And I hope when she moves into the Oracle character, it's not going to limit her too much. But I have a horrible feeling that it will. But you'll have to wait and see what I think of Barbara's future and the future Batgirls that we get when they arrive as we get through there looking through these books. Now the art in the book is pretty good. It's moody and has a pretty good use of shadow for a pretty dark Batgirl story and a quite interesting closing chapter for Barbara. So all in all, I'll be giving it four out of five Batarangs and I thought it was a pretty good one shot and one of the few that I would recommend. Hello, Bruce. Dick. Commissioner. Good to see a familiar face. Where's Barbara? You know my daughter. She's probably still getting rich. My little girl. You know, Dick, there's no one sweeter in this whole world. You've got plenty of competition. Lots of guys are after her. Well, I hope you enjoyed that review. Join me, Nick, 
next time as I review Batman 10 Nights of the Beast. And we'll return to see how Bruce and his new Robin, Jason Todd, are getting on as a new villain arrives in Gotham on a major assassination mission. So look forward to that story from the 80s. Until then, I've been Nick, and I'll send you back to the guys. See ya. I uh, owe you my thanks, Batgirl. It's Batwoo... Forget it. Batgirl it is. Okay, then. Gotta go. Uh, you take care now, citizen. Alright, so that's Bat Books for Beginners. Let's go over our upcoming releases for the next two weeks. We have on April 21st, Azrael number 7, Outsiders number 29, and Superman Batman number 71. Not a, such a great week for the Batman universe. Next week, April 28th, Batman Streets of Gotham number 11, Batman Brave and the Bold number 16, Batman the Widening Gear number 6, Detective Comics number 864, Gotham City Sirens number 11, and Red Robin the Grail. As far as what we will cover on the next podcast, as I said earlier, we will cover Red Robin number 11 since it eluded us and we were not able to get it in time. Batgirl number 9, Batman 698, Azrael number 7, Outsiders number 29, and Superman Batman number 71. That's all I wanted to know. So that's going to be everything for this episode. You can send us an email at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net. You can head over to the forums and become a member. If you can't get in, you can send us an email and we'll make sure to activate your account. You can follow us on Facebook and on Twitter. You can also follow us on YouTube for any of the videos that we post up. And you can leave a review on iTunes. And of course, you can also go over to the website for all the news on a daily basis there on the website for all things related to comics, movies, TV, video games, and merchandise. Also, just a quick uh, little plug. We mentioned this on a normal cast, episode 50 of the normal podcast, but we haven't mentioned it on the comic cast yet. We are planning on having what we are calling a quiz show for the Batman Universe specials. Basically, what it's going to be is fans can call in and claim that they are the biggest Batman fan there is, people who obviously know a lot about Batman, and you can participate in this quiz show where we will have trivia questions, we will ask the questions, and you will have a chance to become the biggest Batman fan of TBU. So, with that being said, if you are interested in participating in the quiz show, you can send us an email at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net. Uh, we're trying to get a good amount of people to, to get involved with this. Uh, all you need to do is either have Skype and a microphone for the computer, or we can even call you on the telephone and talk to you over the phone. We don't know exactly when we're going to start this, but we're trying to get an idea of how many people want to be involved. So if you'd like to be involved, go ahead and send us an email, and we'll put you on the list. And as soon as we know when things are going to start up, we'll make sure to let you know. There's also... Just so you know, the biggest Batman fan won't only get the title of being the biggest Batman fan of the Batman universe, but also a decent prize package, which we'll announce as we get closer to the quiz show. So that's everything we've got for this episode. I'm Dustin. You got Josh. And I'm Zach. And you've been listening to the Batman Universe comic podcast, episode 42. We'll see you guys next time. Two words. Peace out. Take care, everybody.
There's a lot of news. There was yeah, there was. I think we were doing news like 45 minutes into it, and some of our uh, synopsises were shorter than usual. Yeah, I thought those were the best. There's only so much detail you can do into, I hate you, Geoforce. Well, I hate you more, Black Lightning. Well, kiss my black And I'll be going to my actual house tonight for the first time in two weeks, which will be nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> hey, basically, baby, welcome to the Batman Universe comic podcast. So, big tree. You got that bubonic chronic? <laughs> so what do you think of the new Alfred and Jeff Johns Batman? I can truly relate to that sucker. Hey, real quick, is there, like, dog fighting going on in, like, the room next to you? <laughs> it's not my dog. I, I know, but it just it sounds, like, very violent. I think that's Josh. It's oh. No. It so isn't. There's kids in the courtyard playing them, but they're not they barking. Bar- oh. <laughs> I thought I heard a dog. I mean, I have two dogs at the house that I'm at, but they're not doing anything right now. I swore I heard, uh... <laughs> There could have been at one point, but there hasn't been a dog out here consistently, so maybe that one that Dustin heard was mine. Which will be cool, like the five-page sped response. Hip-hop Alfred or something. Like, yo, you can't tell me what to do. What do you want for breakfast, (laughs) (laughs) And that will obviously be cut out. Obviously. Oh, and, and and that's tragic. The girls head into the hideout, and they see Selena's hyenas, which she had... No, they were Harley's hyenas. Determined that he's going to make it on his own now, without the outside, Without the outsiders. Without the sirens. That's the end. I think we should uh, make a Batman Universe original song called Selena's Hyenas. (laughs) (sighs) Anyway... I'm going to give it a negative five out of five batarangs. Okay, is that is that? Are you allowed to do that? No. It, this so book it'll deserves be zero. it. It'll be a zero. <laughs> what you got. Uh, I believe Batgirl special number one. Oh, I love that issue. 